Father, we love you and we thank you for this time that we have to open your word. Help us, Lord, to learn and to grow in our faith. Father, speak to us through your word. Your word is powerful. Father, my, my words mean nothing. Your words are the only ones that matter. So, Father, would you speak to us from your word? Spirit, would you teach us? Would you encourage us? Would you challenge us? God, we ask that you would move in this time. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you have your Bible with you, I encourage you to take it and turn with me to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 3, a very familiar chapter in Scripture for many of us who have grown up in church, but it is powerful nonetheless. John chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, I want to encourage you to borrow one from the back of the pew there in front of you. If you don't own your own copy, feel free to take that as our gift to you, and you can have that copy, and we will replenish it. No problem. Just consider it a gift to you. Regardless of how you may be accessing the Word of the Lord, I ask that you might stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's Holy Word as we look together now at John chapter 3, verses 1 Through 21. I will read for us when I have completed. I'll say, This is the word of the Lord. I encourage you to respond with a hearty thanks be to God. Let's look now, beginning in John's Gospel, chapter 3. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. And Moses and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not 
condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked, who does wicked things, hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As we continue in this sermon series looking at one-on-one encounters, we, we looked a couple weeks ago at how there are one-on-one encounters woven through all of the disciples. We took time specifically to talk about uh, Nathaniel. We took time specifically to talk about Andrew and how Andrew brought one and how that made a huge difference. Last week we spoke about Paul and how Paul continuously found one in every one of his circumstances as he was greeted by Felix and then Festus and then Agrippa every time he took the opportunity to share the gospel with them. And so last week we took a lot of time to talk about Picking one, one that you might pray for, one that you might strategically and intentionally seek to share the gospel with or have gospel conversations with. And so as we come to this sermon this morning where Jesus takes specific time with one individual, I just want to ask, did you pick a one last week? Did you take some time to think through? Did you pray through? God, put on my heart that one person that you are calling me to reach out. Did you come to the altar? Did you write their name? Did you leave their name here on the altar? Did you take a bookmark? Have you been following through the little prayer strategy, the readings, the little prayer book? Have you taken some of these resources? Did you pick one? Folks, there's some numbers that LifeWay has released. And these numbers are staggering. They revealed that 80% of Southern Baptists have never led someone to faith in Jesus. 80% of those within our own denomination would testify that they have never led a single individual person to Christ. That is four out of five Southern Baptists who have never led anyone to Jesus. Not a child, not a parent, not a relative, not a friend, not a co-worker, not a classmate, not a teammate. No one. We are a denomination that boasts a membership of roughly 15 million people. 15 million people, roughly, willing to identify as Southern Baptist. And before COVID, in 2019, before restrictions and things were set in in COVID, we were at a 74-year low for baptisms. A 74-year low for baptisms. But it, it makes sense, right? If 
Four out of five Southern Baptists are not sharing their faith and leading a single person to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, to a saving relationship with Jesus, then that means if we're roughly 15 million strong, that it takes 57 Southern Baptists for one person to be led to faith in Jesus. 57 people who identify as Southern Baptists before we find one who has led another one to Christ. Folks, these are surveys and research that's done by our own Southern Baptist entities. These were research surveys done by Lifeway. If they were going to be biased in a good favor, these are our people doing the research, right? The research should look as good as it possibly can because we were asking our own people on anonymous surveys. If you've led somebody to Jesus, if you're a Christian filling out a Christian survey, you want to look good, right? The numbers could be skewed, but if they're skewed, they're skewed in the good way. It's possible that there's even more people who've never led a single person to faith within our denomination. Folks, we're not challenging anybody to go out and be the next Billy Graham. But God has given us a mission to reach those around us. There is one, at least in our lives, that we can reach for the gospel, that we can strategically and intentionally pray for them, build a relationship with them. And the reason that we know that this is a good and godly thing to do is because this is what Jesus did. Man, Nicodemus, as as we see in these verses, he is a leader, a ruler of the Jews. He is a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the highest of the high. They were known as the pure ones. The Pharisees get a bad rap in Scripture because oftentimes they become the butt of Jesus' jokes. But here Jesus is sharing one-on-one with a Pharisee, a ruler, a leader within Jewish society. Pharisees were so devout about keeping the word of the Lord that if this is the line that you could not cross that the law set, they decided that they were going to set the line back up here so that they would not come anywhere close to that line up there. So then they started to enforce these rules as the law of God. But you see that this came from a desire to fulfill God's law. They were so passionate about God's law and living out God's law that they didn't want to get anywhere close to the line of crossing God's law. In the process, they missed the whole point. But Nicodemus is close. He's still in darkness, though. John is such a brilliant writer as the Holy Spirit inspires him. He comes by night. This night is physical, it is literal, it is real. He goes at night so as not to be embarrassed, going during the day, but the night also symbolizes the darkness that covers Nicodemus' soul. And so we have the very first account of Nick at night right here in John chapter 3, verse 2. Nicodemus goes to Jesus by night and he says, Rabbi, addresses him with respect and kindness. You truly must be a teacher. I've seen what you've been doing, Jesus, and you have got to be from God. So help me to understand. And Jesus makes time to meet with Nicodemus, even in the evening. Jesus answered him, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is like... What? 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 
I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying, Jesus. I'm here. And you're talking about being born again. A man can't go back into his mama and be born again. That don't work. What are you talking about? And so Jesus, he starts in this place. That if, if you and I were sharing the gospel, like we're talking way over people's heads. This is like going up to somebody and saying, let me tell you about the gospel. Jesus is the propitiation for our sin. And they're like the propitiation. I mean, there's plenty of us been in church all our lives. We still ain't real sure what propitiation is or means. That's not the word you start out with. And Jesus starts out way over Nicodemus's head. And he's like, Nicodemus, you got to be born again. Nicodemus is going, um, hang on, just break it down for me. So Jesus starts off with a metaphor that Nicodemus ought to be able to grasp because he's the teacher of Israel, but he misses it. And so he, he breaks it down a little, a little bit further. Don't marvel that I said you must be born again. Look, look there in, in verse 8, the wind. Let's focus on the wind you got to be born of the water and born of the Spirit. And it's like the wind, Nicodemus. You hear where it goes, but you don't know where it's come from, where it's coming from, or where it is going. It's the same way with everyone who is born of the Spirit. He uses this analogy. You've got to be physically born, born of the water, born of the flesh, but then you've got to be spiritually born as well. And Nicodemus, you are dead. You've got to be born again by God's Spirit, by that wind. Wind is the same word in Hebrew for spirit and wind. He's using a double entendre on purpose so that Nicodemus can begin to see. His eyes can begin to open. The scales will fall and he'll realize, hot dog, I'm not born of the Spirit. I've just been born from my mother. I've just been born of the flesh and I've been trying to follow the law, but I'm dead in my spirit. And Nicodemus is like me when somebody's trying to give me directions. Verse nine, Nicodemus said, how can these things be? Folks, I just want you to understand something. I am as navigationally and geographically challenged when I am driving a vehicle as I can possibly be. Last night, we were on our way back from Destin, and the GPS took us a route I did not recognize. It's dark in the middle of the night. I wasn't wearing my glasses. I have no idea where we are. I'm scared out of my mind. And Jessica's like, oh, yeah, this is all right. We're here. We're going there. I was like, Jessica, get me to a road. I know, baby. I got nothing. If you tell me where you live and you say, Nathan, all you got to do is go down County Road 70, and then you turn over, and then you get on strong school road see i know right now those roads probably don't connect i'm probably talking about roads that aren't right okay i don't i'm still not real sure which one's 84 which one's 55 and which one's 29 i they're out there okay if you tell me how to get to your house what i need or is the address i'm gonna plug it into my gps and if my gps can't find you sorry that's it. I'm going to have to be on the phone with you till my car pulls up in your driveway. There's just no other option. I am lost as a goose. If you give me three steps by step four, I forgot the first three. All right, you go down here, you turn left. You, then you go down a little bit further, you turn right. And now you're on Highway 29. Now my brain just heard Highway 29. Okay. What was it? How did I get to Highway 29? If you've hit the railroad tracks, you've gone too far. And then that's about the time that my car goes over the railroad tracks. <laughs> I don't know. This is Nicodemus's experience. Have you ever talked to somebody like that? I, I really like technology. And so there's times I try to explain things to do with technology to people. And I just watch their eyes glaze over. And I'm like, it, it works just like this. And they have that Nicodemus response. How can these things be? Have you ever been in that? You should know 
I'm a grown man. I ought to be able to navigate better than this. I should know. He's the teacher of Israel. He should know. He should be getting it by now. But Jesus has already started off where he ought to know, and he didn't. So he brought it down a little bit closer to him. Now he brings it down even further. I just love where he turns from here. In verse 12, I've told, if I've told you earthly things, and you don't believe the earthly things, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. This is a key moment in the conversation. Because now, instead of talking about being born again, instead of talking about the wind and physical things, Jesus has brought it into Nicodemus's wheelhouse. Because Nicodemus is a Pharisee, he probably has all of what we consider the Old Testament completely memorized and categorized in his brain. If you were to walk up to Nicodemus and go, Nicodemus, Daniel chapter 7, what's it talk about? He's going to go, the Son of Man. And the Son of Man must be lifted up. The Son of of Man. The Son of Man has to be, I know that's Daniel 7. Genuinely, he probably has that memorized. Most of the society is not able to read and write, but boy, they talk these stories out. And it is the Pharisees' job to know the gospel, know, not what they would consider the gospel, but the Old Testament, the Torah, the prophets, the writings, quote it, memorize it, have it categorized. So Jesus is now 100% in Nicodemus's wheelhouse when he says the son of man. Nicodemus would immediately catch the reference to Daniel chapter 7. And then he goes a bit further and moves to Numbers chapter 21. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Now He has put it on a platter right in front of Nicodemus. Nicodemus would have known Numbers 21 without a doubt. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 21. Let's look at this story for ourselves. Numbers 21 verses 4 through 9. Numbers chapter 21 verses 4 through 9. Beginning in verse 4, Numbers 21 reads, From Mount Hor they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no food and no water. We loathe, we loathe, we hate this worthless food. And then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when they see it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a certain serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. 
When it says that fiery serpents went among them, that's the same word that you would use for bronze or copper. They're red in color. And so you make a bronze red serpent, put it on a pole, lift the pole up high so that everybody can see. The Israelites were asking Moses to pray to God that the serpents would be removed from them. The Lord did not remove the serpents because they deserved the serpents. The Lord gave them an antidote for the curse of the serpents that they deserved. So that anyone, when they were bitten, if anyone looked at that bronze serpent that was raised up on the pole, they would be healed. But I want you to know, if you don't look at that bronze serpent, the kill ratio of these serpents is 100%. You get bit by a bronze serpent, by a fiery serpent, you die. This is nothing like COVID. It is a 100%. You bit, you die. End of story. No antidote, no vaccine, no preparation, no ventilator. It's over. And everyone who was bit was dying. They begged and pleaded, just take the serpents away. But the serpents are what Israel deserved for their whining, for their complaining, for their obstinate for their stubbornness, for their ignorance, for their rebellion against God, for their lackadaisical approach to following where God was trying to lead them. They deserved the serpents. See, the problem is the curse that sin has brought on this world is what we deserve. And when we pray to God and we ask God, please, just free us, just release us. The curse of sin is what we deserve. We don't deserve for the serpents to be taken away. We don't deserve for there to be an antidote for the bite from the serpent. But in spite of the fact that we don't deserve it, he made a way for us to be healed. He made a way for us to be restored, for there to be an antidote for the curse and the problem of sin. And it is the man, the son of man, Jesus the Christ, raised up on the cross the same way that the serpent was raised up on the pole. And anyone who looks to the son of man the same way that they looked to the serpent will be saved. And you know, the sad part is the construction of the Hebrew in verse 9 is not a formula that says Everyone who was bitten by the serpents did look at the serpent and was healed. The construction in Hebrew is that anyone who was bitten by the serpent and then willing to look at the serpent was healed. Can you believe that? There were people in the camp of Israel who had the knowledge that if you just look at the bronze serpent raised up, you will be healed. And they got bit by the snake and said, now walk it off, it'll be fine. And they died in their stupidity and in their ignorance and in their rejection of God's antidote to the problem. They got bit by the snake and refused to look at the bronze serpent. You see, it's still just as applicable to Nicodemus as it is to us today. Read with me as Jesus explains in chapter 3. Look at verses 18 and 19. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Is condemned already. Is condemned already. 
do we grasp that everyone on earth is under this sentence of condemnation? Everyone on earth. This is not just a statement that says, if I share the gospel with you, Ronald, and you reject the gospel, then you're going to hell. It's not just a rejection of the gospel that sends us to hell. It is a blanket condemnation for everyone who has ever been born that we are condemned already. We need an antidote. We are already born bitten by the snake. We are already born with the curse upon us that we deserve That we've earned in our rebellion and our betrayal of God. So everyone stands condemned already. Unless they believe. And and this this is not some simple mental assent. This is believe. When John uses the word believe, it's the same word that we would use for put your faith in. A belief that changes our lives. A belief that leads us to action. That leads us to live differently. You see, we were already condemned. God didn't have to provide any antidote. So are are you saying that there's only one way to be saved? Yes. That just seems unfair, Pastor. I just that why wouldn't the Lord just take the serpents away? Because he didn't have to. Because we deserved the serpents. The question is not, why didn't he just take the serpents away? The question is, why did he let Moses make a bronze serpent in the first place to provide healing? I don't understand why Christianity is so restrictive. Why is it that everybody has to believe in Jesus or they go to hell? Because the question is not, why only Jesus? The question is, why Jesus at all? He didn't have to. He did it for us. Because he loved us. It says in, in John 3.16, For God so loved agape, unconditional love, unmerited favor. Just a love for the world. This is groundbreaking. All of the Jews, especially Nicodemus, would have thought that God so loved Israel. That God so loved his chosen people. But it's not just the Jews. It's not just Israel. It is that God so loved, God so agape loved the cosmos, the world, all of his creation with us as humanity being the epitome of his creation. Because nothing else in all creation bears the image of God but us. He loves all of us. And He could not leave us in our cursed and sinful state. He had to do something because of His great love. So He created an antidote. He created a way where there shouldn't be a way. And so many of us want to cast stones at the Lord. That's just not fair. What about the people that are all the way on the other side of the world that have never heard about this? Folks, I want you to understand what Scripture teaches us plain and clear and simple is that there will be no one before the judgment seat of the Lord who can justifiably look to God the Father and say, I wanted to be saved, but you wouldn't let me. That will not happen. He made a way. And then he developed a plan to get that way, get the message of that way out to everybody. And he made a plan A. Did he make a plan B? No. There is no plan B. There is no backup. There is no escape hatch. You and me are plan A. 
we are the only plan. Second Corinthians says that he entrusted the message of reconciliation to us to be his ambassadors. And he said, my spirit will go with you. That means that when we share the gospel, we will get the privilege at some point of walking with somebody and leading them in a saving faith, a saving knowledge of Jesus the Christ. Because His Spirit will go with us. It may not be everyone, but God's going to work. We cast the seed, and some of it lands on rocky soil, and some of it lands on thorny soil, and, and some of it gets scooped up by the birds, but some of it, some of it takes root and yields 30, 60, 100 fold. But if we're not casting the seed, it can't land anywhere. But you may say, Pastor, I, I've been praying for somebody for years, for decades. I, I don't know if they trust the Lord. I, I don't know. I've gone through the presentation. I walked them through John 3.16. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Only Jesus knows. Well, you know what? You're in good company. Because even Jesus in his one-on-one encounters, sometimes we just don't know. Look at what happens. We read through verse 21. Verse 21, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Verse 22 says, after this, they go into the Judean countryside. We have no idea how Nicodemus responded. Jesus lays the gospel right there in front of him from the master and creator himself. From the one who is the light, he shares with Nicodemus. And every other encounter, for the most part, that we have of Jesus sharing one-on-one, it usually ends with, they left and they told everybody that they came in contact with about this man who did all the craziest, coolest stuff they'd ever encountered in their whole life. Except Nicodemus. Listen, if you have not watched this show called The Chosen, it's just a simple app. If you use Google, if you use iPhone, whatever you use, just go to where you download your apps and search for The Chosen. All right? It is incredible, their portrayal of this encounter. Because they get it. Nicodemus wants to know. And when it comes to the culmination of that conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, you're moved almost to the point of tears because Nicodemus comes so close and he's right there, but... uh, I don't know. What can I do? Nicodemus may not have had some sort of life-changing response right then. But I will tell you, we have some hints. We have some clues in the rest of John's gospel as to what Nicodemus decided later on. Look with me in John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verse 45, next time we run into Nicodemus. The officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him in? Speaking about Jesus. And the officers answered, You guys don't understand. No one has ever spoken like this man. He teaches with authority. He doesn't teach like one of you guys. This guy was speaking like I've never heard before. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. This is in front of all the rest of the Pharisees. This is in front of the officers and this is in front of the chief priests. And who speaks up but verse 50, Nicodemus, 
Nicodemus who had gone to him before. That's so we know it's the same Nicodemus in chapter 3. Nicodemus who had gone to him before and who was one of them said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. This may seem like a crazy exchange, but I want you to understand that in the middle of the locker room on the football team, everybody was picking on Jesus, and Nicodemus had the guts and the nerve to stand up and go, Hey, don't pick on that guy. I've been in that locker room. I've listened to kids make fun of other kids. I've been at those water coolers. I've been a part of those co-workers and a part of those teammates who are all picking on somebody. The hardest thing to do in the world is to stand up for someone in front of your friends and co-workers. And Nicodemus stood up for Jesus in front of all the chief priests and all the scribes and all the officers and the Pharisees. He said, hey guys, maybe you are being too quick to judge Jesus. Doesn't our law say that you gotta, you got to try them and figure out what they're all about first. Don't jump to conclusions about this Jesus guy. He may be the real deal. Nicodemus may not have had some sort of crazy conversion experience, but it takes somebody who really loves and respects Jesus to stand up for Jesus in front of all their friends in the midst of ridicule. Turn with me once again. John chapter 19. We see Nicodemus again. John chapter 19, beginning in verse 38. This is after Jesus has been crucified. This is after he has been pierced in his side. After these things, that's what that's referring to. Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also. And just so we're not confused, Nicodemus, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. I know that some of your translations there might say about 100 pounds. That The only difference is that they're 100 pounds in Roman pounds, which were only about 11 and a half ounces. It's about 75 pounds in modern day pounds, which we have, which are about 16 ounces. So that's why you may have a translation difference there. It's 100 Roman pounds. It's 75 modern day pounds. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices as is the burial custom of the Jews. Do you remember the most expensive and kind gifts that were brought to Jesus when he was a baby? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This stuff ain't cheap. We see a Nicodemus who's willing to stand up for Jesus to his friends. We see a Nicodemus who's willing to pour large amounts of his personal profits into caring for the body of Jesus after he has died. Folks, sometimes you just don't know. Did Nicodemus trust in Jesus? Man, I'd love to think so. He did some really incredible stuff through the rest of the Gospel of John. But I just can't say. Sometimes we're going to reach out to one We're going to pray for one. We're going to plead with the Lord for one. We're going to share the gospel with them and have gospel-centered conversations. And we may not know. The only way that we might know is by looking at the fruit in their life. And trusting and hoping 
it's still worth trying to reach that one. Church, four out of five Southern Baptists have never led another person to Christ. Sometimes Jesus shared the gospel and it didn't have the effect that we all would hope. Nicodemus didn't jump and click his heels and run off telling everybody else about how great Jesus was and how his life was changed. But sharing Jesus with Nicodemus made a lifelong difference for Nicodemus. You and I, sharing Jesus with one other person, can and will make a lifelong difference for that person and for you. And if you think, man, Pastor, I just don't know what to do. Just go to this verse. We read it this morning. It's probably the most popular summary of the gospel in all of human history. John 3.16. If you know nothing else to say, just turn to John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. My friend, my relative, my coworker, my teammate, I just want you to know that if you will believe in Jesus, you can have eternal life. Don't let a lack of knowledge stop you. How many of us know nothing about football, but we will talk with our in-laws about football just because that's what they like, and we're trying to be kind? How many of us know nothing about cars, but when we're talking to a mechanic, we go, yeah, man, so how about this whole uh, combustion engine thing? And then just let them talk. Because you're kind, you want to have a conversation. Don't let, well, all I know is John 3.16 stop you from sharing the gospel. What, what if they ask a hard question? You know what? It's not the end of the world if you say, I don't know. Let me look into that and I'd love to talk again. Whoa, you just created an opportunity for another encounter, another gospel conversation. I don't know is an acceptable answer. If it's not, I've been living my life wrong for 30-something years, y'all. Don't let a lack of knowledge be your excuse. Don't let, I don't know how they're going to respond, be your excuse. Let us go forward in the power of the Holy Spirit, trusting that if we will share the gospel one-on-one in meaningful ways, it will have a lifelong change on the people we're sharing with and on us. It's the way Jesus shared. Are you willing to share The way that Jesus shared. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that there there is a way. There's only one way. But there is a way. We might be saved. Lord, nothing obligated you to make a way. Nothing obligated you to redeem us. But in your grace and in your mercy... Father, thank you for making a way. You should have killed us. You should have scrapped us and started with something else. But instead, you decided to keep us and bring us close and pay for us with your own son's blood. Lord, I I pray that you would encourage us and inspire us and challenge us and motivate us to go and share this great news. To pray for one. Lord, help us to have the boldness. Give us the words to say. 
And Father, if there's anyone here this morning listening to the sound of my voice that has not trusted in you, may they remember and hear that you love the world so much that you gave your one and only Son, that Jesus, you came, that anyone and everyone who believes in you will not perish but have eternal life. May this morning, may this day be the day of their salvation. And you, Father, move to draw them unto yourself. God, we ask that your spirit might move among us during this time of response. We ask all this in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Church, I encourage you to stand. I encourage you to come. I encourage you to pray. I encourage you to sing. There's still resources here. If you want to come and grab a bookmark, maybe you weren't here last week. Grab a bookmark, write your one on the top part, tear it off, leave it at the altar, take the bookmark home. However the Holy Spirit moves on you, would you respond in obedience? Take it.